What's happening in the world right now coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. The Supreme Court rules on the Biden administration's multi-billion dollar student loan cancellation program. We'll hear about it live from outside the Supreme Court. People from across the country are in Philadelphia to hear Republican presidential candidates and conservative thought leaders. They are speaking on parents' rights. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is shooting down attempts to question President Biden's mental capacity. He says it's not age that matters, but whether you can do the job. New York City Mayor Eric Adams invokes slave terminology during a public confrontation. He was criticized over rent increases in New York City. Google is removing news links on its platforms across Canada over a new tech law. That's just a week after Meta announced it would do the same for Facebook and Instagram. Another landmark Supreme Court ruling this morning. We're going to get into this in just a minute. I'm Kevin Hogan. You're watching NTD News. The Supreme Court is striking down the Biden administration's multi-billion dollar student loan cancellation program. Joining us live from outside the Supreme Court is NTD's Iris Tao. Iris, bring us the latest on this. Hey, good afternoon, Kevin. Yes, so in another landmark 6-3 Supreme Court ruling this morning, the High Court effectively ruled to end the Biden administration's student loan cancellation program, which would have canceled debts for some 40 million Americans, but also caused taxpayers some more than $400 billion in taxpayer money. So in his ruling this morning, Chief Justice John Roberts basically said that the Biden administration did not have the legal authority to wipe out such a massive scale of debt. And we know that this whole case started when the Biden administration first proposed that it wanted to cancel up to $20,000 in student debt for those Americans who are making more, making less than $125,000 a year. But then six Republican-led states sued, arguing that the Biden administration did not have that legal authority to do so by itself without congressional approval. And the Biden administration, of course, argued that it does because under what they call, what's called the HEROES Act in the past and aftermath, of 9-11, they said that they do have the authority to do just that. But the Supreme Court this morning made clear that no, the HEROES Act does not give the Biden administration that authority. And it asked that the Education Secretary under the HEROES Act could have the authority to waive or modify existing provisions about these financial aid programs, but not to rewrite the statute from the ground up. Of course, we see the Supreme Court here, Iris, curbing the president's power to act alone. What can you tell us about the Biden administration's response? So, of course, we know that President Biden has long been defending his decision to try to wipe out student loan debt. And he's basically saying that it's necessary to relieve the burden for millions of Americans, especially coming out of the pandemic. But we know that President Biden is actually reportedly going to announce new actions later today in response to the ruling today. So we do expect to hear more from himself later today. Well, we're going to have to see how this political defeat in preventing him from fulfilling a campaign promise will affect his chances in 2024. But Iris, what can you tell us about the impact this is going to have on students nationwide? 
So of course, we know that of course tens of millions of students were looking forward for today's decision, thinking that maybe part of their financial burden would be relieved. But unfortunately, the ruling is now no, no, it's not going to be canceled. And of course, we also know that actually a three-year pause on student loan payments will be lifted, will expire later this fall. So we know that these students now they not only will have to face the reality of them having to pay that debt back, but also they'll have to. Re Start repaying for the debt now, maybe for the first time in three years. And Kevin, another wonderful update from NTD's Iris Tal. Iris, thank you. We have another major ruling from the Supreme Court this morning. A Christian web designer is allowed to refuse to make same-sex wedding websites. The court found Colorado's anti-discrimination law violated the web designer's rights. The court ruled six to three in favor of web designer Lori Smith. The decision takes power away from states' public accommodation laws when applied to artists. Five years ago, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of another business just miles from Smith's business. That was a wedding cake maker who refused to make a cake for a gay wedding. The Colorado cases have come about as states add more LGBTQ protections to their anti-discrimination laws. Various wedding services providers have brought forth legal challenges to keep their services limited to heterosexual couples. Next, we hear some insight about the recent Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action. We address how this impacts different races in the U.S., as well as a vision for the future. Joining me now is Lily Tong Williams, a survivor of Mao's Cultural Revolution and a candidate for the United States House of Representatives from New Hampshire. Lily, it's great to speak with you. Well, thank you for having me again. Now that the United States Supreme Court has struck down affirmative action in college admissions, what direction do you expect to see the United States go in terms of opportunity and a system that rewards achievement? I hope this will move us forward, not backward, in order to achieve individual meritocracy and American excellence. And based on individual you know, merits, not based on any skin color or race. So I think this is a big victory, not just for aging Americans and for all Americans. We need to go back to the basics and values of this country, uh, which is, uh, you know, personal achievements, excellence. And you mentioned different races here in your response. How do you think affirmative action affects black people? Well, I think that uh, um, we urge black people to come out actually um, to support this publicly instead of uh, you know trying to still um, buy into the narratives from the left and they live in the greatest country on earth and they are making huge progress every day i hate to say that they actually liberals on the another side to say oh black people cannot make it because it's merit based now that's so insulting to all the blacks in this country some of them are very successful you know you have a vice president who is half black so don't you know don't don't throw this at them i think they will make it and they will strive for excellence just like everybody else in this country and Lily, you mentioned the American dream in your Twitter post. How does this ruling help people living in the United States achieve this? Well, American dream to me is a freedom, prosperity, and the equal protection under the law. 
So I think this is a great step to move forward for everybody to be able to live in their American dream. But fundamentally, the responsibility is on our own shoulders. And lots of immigrants come to this country like me with nothing and cannot even speak English. I'm living American dream. I'm a proof that American dream is live. I have a three home business. I'm running for U.S. Congress. Where else I can go? If you just based on your individual character, meritocracy, right? It's like there's no place I can go in this world to achieve what I have achieved in this great country. And Lily, I wanted to ask you, do you see any parallels between Mao's China and efforts to promote equity here in the United States in regards to things like affirmative action? I have warning people, equity is a communist term. Mao actually used his own affirmative action, which is called workers, peasants, soldiers college. So you don't have to have any meritocracy to get into colleges, only based on your class, your economical status under Mao. And my father was one of them got recruited into workers college. He is illiterate. He cannot do any homework. So he dropped out to so say, I'm not doing this. It's so stressful. <laughs> and so so I see that a similar stuff is happening here. That's why I said uh, we should not even talk about equity. We should talk about American excellence and meritocracy and personal responsibility. And that's the American way to achieve your American dream. And Lily, how can people follow up with you? Go to my website, lilytownwilliams.com. I'm very active on Twitter. You can see my Twitter feeds at the bottom of my homepage. And follow me and share my stories, my messages. I want to send a very unifying, positive message to all over the country. And let's move our country forward to a colorblind society. Well, it was great hearing your insight on this. Lily Tang Williams, survivor of Mao's Cultural Revolution, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. Have a great day. In the spirit of promoting parents' rights, several Republican presidential candidates and conservative thought leaders are speaking at an event in Philadelphia. Here's NTD's Jack Bradley. The nonprofit Moms for Liberty is hosting its national summit this weekend, and kicking off this event are many prominent figures. Parents from across the country are coming together to show their support for conservative values on policies that they believe will benefit America's youth. Now, kicking off today's event is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. When I see events like they had in New York City where they're chanting some drag queen, we are coming for your kids. Let me tell you something, you start messing with our kids, we've got problems. Parents have a fundamental right to direct the education and upbringing of their children, and that means being involved in what is being taught in their school. It also means that every parent in this country should be able to have the wherewithal to send their kid to the school of their choice. DeSantis gave a speech to a fired-up crowd and received multiple bouts of applause. And as governor and father of three, he received support from parents when he promoted school choice and signed legislation to ban boys from entering girls' sports. You have a situation where you're on the men's team for three years swimming, and then you switch to the women's team, and somehow you're crowned women's national champion? So as a father of two daughters, I want our girls and women athletes to have opportunities to compete with fairness and with integrity. If elected president, DeSantis said he would continue to oppose leftist ideologies. We spoke to several event organizers for Moms for Liberty. Here's what they said. You're a Florida resident. Your governor just spoke. 
any thoughts on what he what he said? Oh, in Florida, we are in love with him, and he did a, a great job, a fantastic job as a leader. He um, he gave more than he was promised to do, and uh, the most important thing he defend family and he defend. Uh, the innocence of children. So that's why he wants so many adept people to him. It brings awareness to what's really happening in our schools. You know, we have to have transparency in education and parents have to understand that they have rights and they have a say so in their child's education. Regardless of your skin color, your background, your race, religion, we are parents. And later in the day, more prominent figures are set to speak. Former President Donald Trump is set to speak this afternoon. Jack Bradley, NTD News. All right, a group of protesters began gathering outside the event early this morning. They're voicing opposition to the Moms for Liberty Summit and the many Republican speakers in attendance. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis eating pizza in New York City with a reporter that was in response to the Big Apple possibly outlawing coal ovens to make pizza. Here are the clips. As you can see in these clips published by Fox News, presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis was in a New York City establishment to get some pizza. DeSantis put a pizza in the oven before criticizing New York politicians for wanting to ban coal ovens. City lawmakers argue that coal ovens used to make pizza create some of the most harmful toxins in the entire city. While enjoying his pizza, DeSantis said New York politicians are using coal ovens as an excuse to control citizens. The Florida governor is currently traveling around the country campaigning in his bid to become president. New York City Mayor Eric Adams lambasted an elderly woman at a community event invoking the times of slavery. He was reacting to her seamlessly, seemingly aggressive style of questioning him about rent increases in New York City. Here's Adams speaking at a town hall meeting. Don't stand in front like you treated someone that's on the plantation that you own. Give me the respect I deserve and engage in a conversation. Up here in Washington Heights, treat me with the same level of respect I treat you. Adams added that he walked into this room a grown man and would walk out of the room as a grown man. The frail elderly woman had accused the mayor of raising rent in the city and supporting increases, something Adams refused to take the blame for. The mayor explained that he doesn't control the board that makes rent decisions. He only appoints the members. The New York Post reported the woman has lived in New York City since she left Europe with her parents fleeing from Nazis. What's in a name? Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is downplaying President Biden repeatedly mixing up Ukraine and Iraq. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the Transport Secretary's comments. The president faced a wave of criticism on Wednesday after saying that Russian President Vladimir Putin was clearly losing the war in Iraq. Biden also said Iraq instead of Ukraine at a fundraiser on Tuesday night and didn't correct himself. Buttigieg was asked about voter doubts on Biden's mental competency as the oldest president in history. Well, what I say is I wish you could be in a room with him the way I often am, seeing how he is simultaneously focused on a big picture vision 
and very focused on details. Buttigieg cited rail infrastructure meetings he's had with Biden, where he says the president hones in on questions so specific it becomes necessary to pull in experts from Amtrak to satisfy his desire for detailed information. Buttigieg says it's not age that matters, but your ability to get the job done. This is uh, an administration that has been extraordinarily effective. In related news, President Biden apparently took an early exit from a live interview with MSNBC's Nicole Wallace. Biden was there to discuss the Supreme Court's decision to strike down affirmative action. It was then that Biden seemingly went off script. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And exited the set instead of waiting for the commercial break. The missteps bring to mind another odd moment in June when Biden invoked the Queen after giving a speech on gun control in Connecticut. God save the queen, man. Before navigating his way off stage. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Google is removing links to Canadian news and its platforms across Canada. That's over a new law that would require the tech giant to pay media outlets for sharing their content. Here are the details. Canada passed the Online News Act last week. It requires both Google and Meta to pay news publishers for content that appears on their sites if it helps them generate money. Google on Thursday responded to the new law, saying it will be removing links to Canadian news from its search, news and discover products in Canada. The tech company issued a statement saying Bill C-18 has become law and remains unworkable. The government has not given us reason to believe that the regulatory process will be able to resolve structural issues with the legislation. According to the law, the tech giants have to enter into agreements with news publishers to pay them. However, it's still unclear how much that could cost and how the bargaining process would unfold. Canada's heritage minister responded to Google's decision, saying big tech would rather spend money changing their platforms to block news from Canadians instead of paying a small share of the billions they make in advertising dollars. Meta made a similar announcement last week, saying it would remove news from its social media platforms Facebook and Instagram in Canada. The law's details are likely to become clear after the bill's regulatory process is complete. It's set to take effect by the end of the year. Just ahead, a cyber attack targets companies under contract with a large federal government agency. We have that and more for you in just a moment. It's good to have you back with us. The latest victims of a sweeping cyber attack are companies the Department of Health and Human Services contract with. At least 100,000 people may have had their data compromised. Officials believe a Russian criminal group carried out the attack. It exploited a weakness in transfer software called MoveIt. It's the same method used in recent attacks on companies, schools, and government agencies. The company that makes the software has issued a security update, but hackers had already infiltrated the system. So far, the hacking group has not installed any ransomware on target systems. Instead, investigators believe they are targeting individual owners of stolen data with extortion demands. It's not known who they have approached or if anyone has paid money. You may recall hearing about fraud in COVID relief programs for businesses. A federal watchdog is putting a number on how much money was handed out to fraudulent claims, a total of more than $200 billion. That's 17% of the $1.2 trillion the Small Business Administration distributed. It amounts to about 4.5 million fraudulent claims. Some of that money was paid through the Paycheck Protection Program, 
It was designed to help businesses pay employees during the pandemic, but most of the sum was actually paid through economic injury disaster loans. Businesses were supposed to pay those loans back, unlike PPP assistance. The SBA's inspector general says pressure to inject money into the economy quickly was a magnet for fraudsters and says the SBA did not employ adequate safeguards to prevent it. The Justice Department has taken action against dozens of people for defrauding Medicare and Medicaid. They've been at it for two weeks. They have charged 78 defendants, including two dozen doctors, nurses, and other medical professionals. The scheme spanned 16 states and resulted in $2.5 billion of alleged fraud. Officials say much of the fraud targeted the elderly, people with mental health issues, and people addicted to opioids. One case accuses doctors of plotting with telemarketers to get kickbacks for pushing unnecessary medical equipment. Another scheme allegedly involved buying HIV medications from patients, then repackaging them to sell to pharmacies. Prosecutors say in some instances, the wrong medications, broken pills, and even pebbles were sold. In other news, Mexico is limiting U.S. corn imports and droughts in Mexico are affecting chili pepper production. How is this impacting the American family? Entity Business's Don Ma talks to the head of the U.S. Hispanic Business Council. And joining me now is the CEO of the U.S. Hispanic Business Council, Javier Palomares. Now, what I wanted to talk to you about is recently Mex Mexico wanted to restrict GM white corn for human consumption and possibly eventually auto also veto GM yellow corn for animal feed and as well as slapping a 50% tariff on white corn imports. So now Mexico imports about three to five billion dollars worth of U.S. corn, vast majority being GM yellow corn. My question to you is, is this going to hurt the U.S. in terms of in terms of trade? Uh, undoubtedly, it will. Uh, you know, a tariff could mean that uh, corn production will be disincentivized in the United States, uh, and that ultimately could refer uh, could could uh, could create uh, food inflation within our own uh, country, uh, which ob obviously would hurt the American family, the American economy. Keep in mind, Don, that um, America consumes some 73 billion dollars of corn a year. But only about 10% of that is used uh, in the form of food. The other 90% is used in a variety of products from, from uh, ethanol to livestock feed to, to soap and even batteries. And so uh, disincentivizing the production of corn will mean a smaller crop. The prices for the available corn will undoubtedly go up. And that will impact a variety of industries within the American economy. Okay, now about the apparent Mexican chili pepper shortage due to droughts. Uh, this is already affecting prices. Uh, for example, sriracha sauce going through the roof now. But I would imagine the impacts go beyond that, right? Yeah, it, it, it does. Uh, again, you know, as, as I mentioned, uh, hot sauce is now the number one selling condiment in American cuisine. Some 75% of Americans consume hot sauce or salsa on a daily basis. So ultimately, the American family gets impacted, the American table gets impacted uh, as these costs go up. Um, uh, additionally, uh, further down the road, we will see less and less availability of the hot sauces, and what is available will cost even more than it does now. And so the number one selling condiment in American cuisine is hot sauce. It surpassed ketchup long ago. And so as 
the supply of peppers is diminished because of a drought, the cost of the peppers goes up, the cost of creating the sauce goes up, and ultimately the American family, which consumes 75% of Americans on a daily basis, consume hot sauce. And so ultimately the American family pays for something like that. When you look at a foreign government imposing a tariff on our exports of corn, um, again, it means that um, corn producers will be disincentivized. There will be less corn produced. The price of the available corn will go up. And as that price of the available corn goes up, ultimately the American family gets impacted. Again, only 10% of our corn production goes into food, but the other 90% is consumed by the American family in the form of batteries, uh, cosmetics, uh, in the agricultural sector to feed the animals that are part of the agricultural sector. So uh, all of these things are interconnected. Uh, I think as a, as a society, as a, as a nation, we should focus on the things that we can control and try to help uh, our agricultural sector as best we can. Thank you so much today for speaking Thanks. with me, Javier. Thanks for having me, Don. Have a great weekend. Coming up, a fashion company, a microcosm of U.S.-China relations. Find out why Xi'an's efforts to boost public relations is facing backlash. Were influencers misled? A Hong Kong filmmaker loses investors and actors over Beijing fears. Films in the city face increasing censorship. We'll have more for you in just a moment on NTD News Today. Welcome back. We're continuing with a deep dive into the fallout surrounding Chinese fashion company Xi'an's efforts to negate allegations of forced labor. Here's more. Please welcome Anders Kaur. He's the publisher of the Journal of Political Risk. He joins us now to discuss the backlash that fashion company Xi'an faced after flying in social media influencers for public relations. It's great to have you with us, Anders. What do you make of this? Well, social media influencers uh, that the TikTokers basically and other uh, types of social media influencers uh, flew to China. Xi'an paid for them to fly to China, I believe, and they were uh, surprised by the public backlash. The um, They were toured around in different factories. Um, they were, you know, I mean, it, it appears that they were expected to report positively on Xi'an. One of the influencers said that uh, she was an investigative journalist, uh, you know, which of course was not probably the case technically. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the backlash was brutal online. Uh, these influencers apparently did not know that, uh, you know, it, all the bad things that are happening in China in terms of forced labor, genocide, um, and they just didn't cover that. And then their followers, who were smarter than them on this on these issues, did cover it. So maybe you can help make sense of this. Why do you think these influencers would highlight these fancy robots and the clear stacks of packages and all these rows of happy workers if maybe that wasn't, in fact, what's really happening behind the scenes? Well, they were flown in to China um, at China's expense or at Xi'an's expense. Uh, and when that happens, you feel you're not, you know, people naturally feel like they want to return the favor. Um, and this is the big problem with these kinds of boondoggles. And China doesn't just do it with a company like Xi, and they do it with 
U.S. congresspersons. They've done that in the past. They've done it with U.S. military officials. Um, you know, the big U.S. corporations that come into China, the CEOs, are some, I believe they're given sweetheart deals um, to promote China to, um, and, and also these, a lot of these executives, uh, including around the world in Germany and other places, are the biggest lobbyists for China that are out there because they're the ones making the big money. So, you know, the Xi'an situation is the world, world politics and microcosm in terms of China and the U.S. And in light of this, Anders, I want to read a statement that Sheehan put out. He said, the trip reflects one way in which we are listening to feedback. Their social media videos and commentary are authentic, and we respect and stand by each influencer's perspective and voice on their experience. So what should we make of this? That's propaganda. I mean, what's really happening in China is a Uyghur genocide, forced labor, um, and Sheehan and other Chinese companies want to pretend like this is not happening. Um, and in fact, it's illegal in China uh, for 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 uh, people, companies, businesses to get this information out. They don't let people in the regions like Tibet and Xinjiang, where uh, there are these atrocious human rights abuses. And instead, they bring the influencers to some fancy factories that are today's Potemkin villages. So, Anders, what can you tell us about the reported IPO? of Xi'an in the United States? There's a, uh, Reuters did a report that there's an upcoming IPO that was uh, filed and uh, Xi'an has denied that um, in CNBC reporting. And so, uh, you know, we don't, we don't know what to think about it exactly, except what we do know is Xi'an shouldn't be allowed to do an IPO in the United States because U.S. investors, global investors, will dump billions of dollars into a Chinese company. I mean, it's Singapore uh, headquartered, but ultimately their business, most of their business is in China and they, they were founded in China, will be dumping so much money into China that could be taken in various ways. I mean, the, the, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, are experts at figuring out how to steal foreign money, foreign IP, foreign technology and use it for themselves. So it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous game and, and really the U.S. government shouldn't allow it. Well, thanks for sorting this out for us. Anders Kaur, publisher of the Journal of Political Risk, it's always great speaking with you. Thank you very much. Two years ago, Hong Kong director Kiwi Chow screened an acclaimed documentary on the democracy movement in Hong Kong. But now, he says investors are scared to invest in his projects. Here's the story. Revolution of Our Times, a documentary about Hong Kong's pro-democracy movement, won praise at the Cannes Film Festival two years ago. But now its acclaimed director, Kiwi Chow, says investors are scared to back any more of his projects. The same year the film came out, Hong Kong introduced a censorship law to bar films that might endanger national security. The measure followed the national security law Beijing imposed on the Asia financial hub in 2020. Chow said the pressures he now facing Hong Kong filmmakers, with many choosing to move abroad because of the increasingly restricted space at home. You could say that actors at Hong Kong's film companies are filled with fear, which overshadows everything. In my case, this fear is particularly pronounced, but they may not experience it to the same extent with other directors. 
You could argue it's an individual situation, but it could also be seen as a broader experience of immense political pressure and intense self-censorship. Chow scrambled to complete his new film, Say I Do to Me, after investors pulled 80% of its funding and the main actor withdrew. Although the film, a love story about a young woman on a journey of self-discovery, is far from political, Chow said investors told him they could not take the risk as they still had business with China. He also said the actors were pressured by their management not to work with him. In the end, about 40 to 50 supporters injected fresh funding so the film could be completed. Many investors withdrew their support because of sensitivities surrounding my documentary, Revolution of Our Times. There's also many others who witnessed investors for Say I Do to Me pulling out, which made them unite to gather funding for my film. Despite the disappointing box office performance, I can't help but feel a sense of unease about those investors. Since the censorship law was introduced in October 2021, a Reuters tally shows at least 21 movies and short films have had scenes cut or their release blocked by Hong Kong's Office for Film, Newspaper and Article Association. In an email statement, the office said it had processed about 5,000 applications for film classification since January 2021, denying approval for public exhibition to six of them. It declined to comment on individual films. Meanwhile, Culture Secretary Kevin Yun has previously warned that government funding would not be allocated to film projects that might infringe upon the national security law. After the break, drones are buzzing above Southern California, taking out mosquitoes. A huge spike after a wet spring raises concerns about the diseases they spread, so stay informed with us when we return. Good to have you back with us. One of America's most wanted has been charged after nearly four decades. Wanted for the murder of Cynthia Wood in 1984, Donald Santini was caught in San Diego after avoiding arrest for 39 years. Santini was the last person seen with Wood before she was found strangled. He appeared on America's Most Wanted list several times. Santini is currently in custody in Hillsborough County, Florida and he has been charged with first-degree murder. Former NFL player Ryan Mallett tragically drowned on Tuesday in Destin, Florida. The Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office released police body cam footage from the scene. The video shows officers arriving to where Mallett was found. The footage shows multiple ambulances, fire trucks, and police cars. According to the Sheriff's Office, the beach was under a yellow flag, not red. That means the surf presented a medium hazard. The sheriff believes Mallet's death was a tragic accident. A paddleboarder had a close encounter with a hammerhead shark while crossing the Straits of Florida. Video shows the woman paddling toward the boat where her husband was calmly directing her in. Look closely and you can see a fin stick out of the water as she approaches. A hammerhead shark was following her and at one point was under her board. This happened Sunday during a fundraising event called Crossing for Cystic Fibrosis, where people paddleboarded about 75 miles from the Bahamas to Palm Beach County, Florida. The group was about halfway through their journey when they spotted the shark. 
Malia Tribble says she didn't have time to be scared. When she was safely in the boat, the crew called out to another paddleboarder to warn him about the shark, and the fin reappeared near his board. But the shark eventually swam away, and the team finished their event. Recent rainfall in Southern California has led to a huge spike in mosquitoes. Officials in Orange County are trying to battle the insects while protecting endangered species. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the problematic pests. Drones cruise above Southern California's Orange County. Their mission? Eliminate mosquitoes and the diseases they spread to humans. The aircraft drop bits of bait or spray liquid larvicide in marshes, wetlands, large ponds and parks. Well, the mosquito larvae are filter feeders, so they feed on the bacteria. It enters their gut and it's a growth regular. So essentially, if you guys have seen the movie Alien, it blows their stomach up. So that's the best way to describe, like it probably hurts a lot too. Drones offer advantages over traditional methods. They can better detect the insects and they're more precise, eliminating the need to trample through sensitive lands. We've done studies where we watch the birds and, we watch, and we've done the drone and there's no, the birds usually come right back after the drone passes over. So if anything, it's, it's definitely, a, it's better for the environment. Mosquito-borne diseases have long been recognized as a public health threat and the concern is rising. There's a lot of groundwater moving around, uh, uh, flood water or whatnot, uh, that are that's just sitting underground, it's producing a ton of mosquitoes. In California, West Nile virus is the most common and serious mosquito-borne disease. The state's public health department has recorded 7,500 human cases and more than 300 deaths over the last 20 years. You know, it's uh, it's more of a, a, a battle, right? You're not gonna you're not gonna win the war against mosquitoes, but you can gain some ground. And with technology advancements in technology, we're seeing uh, gaining ground. West Nile isn't the only threat. Mosquitoes also carry other viruses, including dengue and Zika. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Check this out, a California house is gaining a lot of attention. It's a replica of the White House and it's up for sale. Let's take a look. Regardless of what your parents may yell at the dinner table, they don't let just any old Yahoo live in the White House. But if you play your cards right, you could move into the next best thing. An estate nicknamed the Western White House is up for sale in California. Built in the 1800s, the home was remodeled in the 1920s to look exactly like the real thing. It even has its own rose garden and oval office. Look, the owners don't care whether you're red or blue. They want the green, baby. $38.9 million to be exact. Hey, if you consider the real White House is worth around 400 mil, by comparison, this Western wannabe is a swinging good deal. So whether you've been biding your time on buying or waiting to trump the market, home buying hopefuls shouldn't wait to cast their C-note votes for this California candidate. Set sail in style, the world's biggest cruise ship is set to debut in early 2024. Royal Caribbean International's Icon of the Seas is making a big splash, and it was built in Finland and recently began open sea tests. Weighing in at around 250,000 tons, Icon of the Seas boasts the largest cruise ship water park, over 40 ways to dine, seven pools, 20 decks, and more amenities. It's also Royal Caribbean's International's first ship powered by liquefied natural gas and fuel cell technology. 
Still to come, a sky-high suspension bridge in Germany spans across a valley. It can withstand up to hurricane force winds and is opening to pedestrians soon. Ketchup, pea or sweet chili sauce, an ice cream store in London is offering some of the most quirky flavors. We'll be back with that story for you really soon in just a minute. Welcome back. Astronomers say a Jupiter-like exoplanet 520 light years away may have survived the destruction of its host star. They named the hot gas planet Hala, the name of the highest mountain in South Korea. That's to honor its discovery by Korean astronomers in 2015. Observations indicate the exoplanet has burned through its supply of hydrogen and is now burning helium at its core. This suggests it once expanded into a giant red star but survived. Astronomers say there is also a possibility the system could have had two suns at one point and they merged or collided. Mars has donuts? Well, it appears to have at least one, but not one any human would want to eat. An image captured by the Mars rover Perseverance shows this mysterious donut-shaped rock on the red planet's surface. The rover launched in July 2020, and it's still exploring a 28-mile-wide crater for signs of ancient microbial life. The donut is one of the latest objects captured by the SuperCam remote microimager, one of the rover's cameras helping scientists see what's on the planet's surface. Scientists have a few hypotheses as to where the rock came from. They say it could be a meteorite or it could be a rock that was brought to the area by a river channel. In other news, Germany's longest suspension bridge is set to open after six years of planning and construction. The structure is more than 2,000 feet long and more than 300 feet high. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest for us. Ulrich Kuda is one of the executives of Skywalk, the company behind Germany's new suspension bridge. The company calls the structure the longest unsupported pedestrian suspension bridge in the world. So what you're looking here at is Swiss engineering under German scrutiny. The back and forth with 3D modeling and uh, authorities and inspectors took six years. Fellow executive Arndt Brunner has a few more poetic words about the bridge. I am not used to it yet, but it's an incredible feeling. You have respect, you have tension. It's a living structure, so the bridge moves slightly with you, but in the end, it's like wellness for the soul. Hikers in the area are equally astonished. It is overwhelming, I would say, what has been built here and also that it is possible to build such a bridge over such a valley. It's almost crazy what's possible, but of course I'd be tempted to cross it sometime. Steel anchors have been drilled almost 70 feet into the mountain below. The bridge can hold up to 750 people. It's 150 tons of, of steel that has 36 um, um, anchors in the ground holding the whole construction. This construction can hold a hurricane category 2 with snow on it at the same time. After its official opening, the bridge is sure to see its fair share of curious visitors. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Wow. An ice cream store in London has something new for the summer. It's offering products with unconventional flavors. Think Heinz ketchup or maybe even peas. 
A British fashion designer started the summer concept store known as the Ice Cream Project. It combines ice cream with other food tastes like crumpets, sweet chili sauce, and Kellogg's Rice Krispies. Other choices include Kikkoman soy sauce and KP salted peanuts flavor, among others. And I think it's really just things that everybody has in their, in their kitchen made into ice creams that you wouldn't expect to. For instance, digestive biscuits, crumpet flavored ice cream. Um, and they really work, they're really fantastic. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really cool concept. Um, I think it's such a great opportunity to try some flavors that you wouldn't otherwise get a chance to try and also just experiment a bit. Um, I'd never go out and buy a pea ice cream, but actually it's one I've tried today and it's really surprised me. The ice cream project will be open until late August. A 13-year-old endangered lion was given the VIP treatment at the London Zoo. He was suffering from a persistent earache. Banu is an Asiatic lion. He was put under general anesthesia for an ear cleaning, and then he received some drops to treat an ear infection. A veterinarian said that information gathered on Banu during the treatment would also help with the conservation of his species. The London Zoo says Asiatic lions are only found in the wild in India's Gujarat region, where approximately 600 remain. And lastly, an episode of Strong Mind and Body. Let's look at why hair turns gray and get some tips on how to reverse it. Here's Gina Marie. Our busy modern lifestyles can turn us grey at a young age. A quick and easy solution is hair dye, but what about the chemical health hazards? Are there better ways to return grey hair to its original colour? According to Chinese medicine, the answer is yes. TCM says that the hair is a manifestation of deep-rooted blood health. In Chinese medicine, blood is considered a fluid that nourishes the body. Qi also affects hair colour. Qi is the energy that fuels the body. It's derived from the food we eat and the air we breathe. Qi and blood are first supplied to other body organs and the hair is the last place they reach. Therefore, if the circulation of qi and blood is insufficient, hair may fall out or thin as well as turn grey. Emotions and worries are also key factors affecting hair graying and loss. Two ancient references include Wu Zuyu, a grand warrior of ancient China and Queen Mary of France. They both had their hair turn grey overnight. There are three main reasons why modern day people are more likely to grow grey hair. Number one is genetics. Congenital deficiency of kidney essence or blockage of kidney chi that leaves it unable to reach the top of the head. Number two, unhealthy daily habits. These can include smoking, drinking, intemperate eating, overeating of greasy, sweet and hot food, staying up late, excessive sex and other habits that cause excessive fatigue, anxiety and depression. Number three, diseases of the kidney, liver and spleen. Certain foods may help to turn grey hair to its original colour. Consider black sesame seeds. Try two teaspoons of roasted black sesame seeds daily. It may turn hair to its original colour after two years. Next is raw ginger. Apply it where grey hair grows once a week. Next on the list is combing the hair. Head or hair combing can promote blood circulation in the head and it's also effective in improving grey hair. Once you succeed in taking good care of your body, your hair color may return. That's all for today's program. Have a great weekend. I'm Kevin Hogan, NCD News, New York City.